And uh, so with that thought in mind then, Bible's in hand. Uh, we're going to be heading to the book of 2 Corinthians uh, before too long. Uh, that little note page will be of some help to you along the way as well. And uh, if you need a Bible this morning, just raise your hand. We're glad to share a copy of God's Word. We keep them in the back just in case you got out of the house without yours. So, Well, church family, we concluded, as Robin mentioned a moment ago, last Sunday out of Herky Creek, our, our IBC Missions Week with John and with the Whites. And it was just a great time of being reminded afresh that our God is a God with a global heart, right? that he is a God who has a love for all nations. He has a love for all peoples. It was a great time of being reminded that, that Idlewild Bible Church is quite literally in Beijing, China today as a result of the missionaries that we partner with and serve in that place. And that is all really exciting. We took three Sundays all told to focus on this in, in this special direction and, and give emphasis to the mission's life of our church And I know that good fruit is going to continue to be born out of that time. But now that that is over, a reasonable question might be, well, what's next? Um, What are we going to do now, Pastor Tim? Now that we're done with that, what are we going to do now? And and I'm really, really glad that you asked that question (laughs) because I think I have an answer for you. Today we step into a, a new month. It's November the 1st. Can you believe that? I mean, where has the year gone but uh, the leaves are changing, and the, the air is getting a little bit cooler. Um, it doesn't appear this way right now, but they're saying maybe a few snowflakes might fall this coming week. That would be awesome. And soon it will be the Thanksgiving season, and then we'll blink, and Christmas is going to be upon us. And so as Brandon and I reflected on some of this with calendars in front of us, we saw an opportunity an opportunity for us to spend some extra time with one of the Bible's truly great themes, thanksgiving to God. More specifically, God's people giving him thanks. We saw a five-week window as we looked at the calendar, a five-week window, the whole month of November that we could take and we could devote to, to looking at some extra special passages in scripture, sometimes maybe just a a single verse where thanksgiving and the overflow of a grateful heart to God are put on grand display for us to consider. We could use these passages to help us, to help us as a church, to help us as sons and daughters of the king to prepare for a Thanksgiving holiday season with our family, with our friends that might be unlike a Thanksgiving that we have shared or celebrated in quite a long time a Thanksgiving that would be more than just the one-day observance on a Thursday, the last week of the month, thanking God as part of a national holiday. Perhaps we could enjoy a month of thanksgiving to God as our hearts and our minds are called to five special places where this theme is put before us in an impossible-to-miss kind of way. And so that's really what we are going to do, a five-part Thanksgiving series that has a very catchy, incredibly creative title that you can see there on the screen. It's going to be called Thanks. What can Brandon and I say, man? It's why you pay us the big bucks to come up with these creative, these creative sermon titles, right? <laughs> 
Well, actually, this title is not very important at all. What is important, though, is that as we embark on this month-long journey, uh, realizing together, we need to do so uh, with the thought in mind that saying thank you to God is a really big deal to Him. And that's the first thought there on your little note page. This is a really, really big deal to Him. You and I saying thank you. How big a deal? Well, uh, in the opening chapter of the New Testament letter of Romans, the Holy Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Paul will say this. And these words are there on your note page as well. Romans 1.18 and verse 21. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. They hold down the truth about who God is. They, the, the, the human race holds down the truth about who Jesus Christ really is. And then verse 21 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or what? Give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. I mean, get this, brothers and sisters, the Holy Spirit says that part of the reason that God judges the human race is because its people fail to do what? To thank God. To, to, to thank God for all that He has done and for all that He is doing and all that He is. It's collective blindness, humanity's collective blindness to the goodness of God and and it's thankless receiving of His provision, His protection, His supply, His blessing, day after day and year after year. Humanity's blindness in these ways brings His righteous judgment upon us. Judgment because the world rejects His beloved Son, Jesus? Yes, of course. Judgment for that reason. But judgment comes as well because there is no thank you that comes from the creature to the creator for who he is and what he does. Is saying thank you a big deal to God? We would have to say it's a huge deal to him. His judgment, his wrath comes in part because we fail there. And in, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, the other verse there under that first thought on your note page we read uh, this from the Holy Spirit as well. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 to 18. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and do what? Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Now, do you ever find yourself wondering what God's will is for you? What you should do? What, what He wants for you to do? You know, we all have that those moments where we wonder what's your will for me in this moment and and that's that's just that's just where we are but verse 18 removes much of the wondering about the will of God for you and me in the good and in the hard in the lean and in the plenty when there's bounty and when there is loss when joy overflows and when sorrows like sea billows roll as the old hymn says we are to what be thankful Thankful to God. That's His will for us. It's a really, really big deal to Him that we be thankful. And so, so five opportunities for us to think about, learn about, and do thanksgiving to God together. That's the thought. In fact, 
uh, one of our mornings, we will be digging deep into this 1 Thessalonians 5.18 passage, but but we're not going to be doing that today. Today, as you would know just from the glance at your note page, we're heading to 2 Corinthians, the, the book of 2 Corinthians in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians comes right after... Yes, yes, church family, yes. (laughs) And it comes just before Galatians, right? A little slower on that part. Yeah, but if you can find your way there to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. And uh, we're going to begin our thanks series with a single verse that reads like this. In fact, can we read it aloud together right off the screen? Let's do that. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Now, as we make our way this morning to the table of remembering, the communion table as a church family, this seemed to me like the perfect place for us to be today. Not only to start off our series, but but to help us as we would would move towards the communion time together. Because not only does this verse call us to thankfulness and gratitude, but it is a verse that is calling us to remember who? The Lord Jesus. Who is the gift, the inexpressible gift in 2 Corinthians 9.15? Who is that gift? It's the Lord Jesus. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift of Jesus to us. And we're going to be remembering that in just a few moments through the bread and through the cup. What better heart preparation could we have as we move towards this table than to use 2 Corinthians 9.15 to help us do that? And so we invite you, Holy Spirit, to bring this truth, this verse to life for us in a way that will make a difference uh, to us, but also be a great honor to you. And we all say amen to that, yes? Yeah. So no matter what version of the Bible you are carrying today, they will all read exactly the same for 9.15, except when they render the word, which in my English standard version is the word inexpressible. Your Bible may have a different word at that one point. The rest of the verse is likely to be identical. Your version may use the word unutterable or or unspeakable or too great for words or maybe the word indescribable if you're carrying an NIV this morning. We probably have all of those different renderings in this room right now. But no matter what word is used in your Bible, all are seeking to convey the same truth. We are to thank God for Jesus, right? That's the truth. His gift that can never be fully captured or contained or revealed or described or expressed in human language because he is infinite and without limit and our language is forever finite so no matter how rich or developed it is, it will never be enough to express our thanks for the gift. We are to continually thank God for his gift that we can never fully or adequately thank him for. Did you get that? <laughs> that's kind of a, that's an interesting thought, isn't it? Thanks be to God for his inexpressible, indescribable, beyond words gift of Jesus. So we have an assignment that we cannot by its very nature ever fully accomplish. 
an eternal quest to come up with new and better ways to say, Abba, Heavenly Father, thank you for my Savior. Thank you for Jesus, your inexpressible gift. Now, since we know that this Thanksgiving for Jesus assignment is impossible for us to fully accomplish, we're simply going to start somewhere. We're just going to start. We're going to going to consider together, as you see it there on your note page, four reasons for the thanks to flow from us to God for Jesus. There are an infinite number of reasons. Here are just four for us to consider. And as I said a moment ago, each one hopefully will bring us just a one step closer to the table of remembrance today. And yet before we go there, Uh, we do need to do something really important before we take a look at these four thoughts uh, together. Part of being a good and careful student of God's word is that we always seek to know the surrounding context for a verse or a passage that we might be looking at. Serious mistakes and misuse of scripture is often the result of ignoring context, right? Just going to a passage, yanking out a verse, and then applying it however you want it to go, and, that, and we don't want to do that. And so right now, we're stepping into the middle of a 13-chapter letter. And so a little bit of context for the one verse we're focusing on would be helpful. About a year prior to the Apostle Paul writing this letter of 2 Corinthians, he had been in Corinth, establishing a brand-new church there. Now, Corinth is a, was a prominent first-century uh, church or city in Greece, morally, spiritually bankrupt. I mean, you didn't get really any darker than, than Corinth. It was entrenched in the worship of every imaginable kind of, of idol or false god. No true god was being worshipped there. Captivated, the people were, by human philosophy and, and human wisdom. And in a way, it, it sounds a lot like our own culture today. Corinth would have reflected a lot of that. So when the truths of Jesus that Paul preached penetrated this spiritual darkness, it was really something. It turned the city upside down. Great testimony to the grace of God and to the power of the gospel. Paul preached a a crucified uh, for sinners, risen from the dead, returning Jesus Christ. And many in Corinth were coming out of that darkness and into the light, and they were embracing the message of Jesus. A church was born, and now it's growing. Paul has moved on to plant churches in other places. But during the time that he was with these new Christians and helping them to establish their church so they would have some traction and some momentum when he moved on, he sought diligently to help these new believers understand what life lived in Jesus looked like. At one point, he challenged these new Christians to be generous uh, with regards to their material resources, their possessions. God is an incredibly generous God, he taught them, and, and therefore they should be incredibly generous as well with their resources as a reflection of him. And so as a way of practically directing them in a giving direction, Paul challenged the Corinthians to assist in a material, practical way the desperately poor Christians who were in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was experiencing a famine at this time, and and the the new believers were just in a really tough, tough spot. And so Paul had alerted the Corinthians to this need. 
Well, the Corinthians, they took up Paul's challenge to respond to Jerusalem's poor, even though many of them did not have very much in the way of material wealth themselves. However, now, a year later, they still have not completed this special giving project. They have not sent the gift. And so Paul takes this up in chapters 8 and 9 of 2 Corinthians. In fact, if you'll find verse 1 of chapter 9, we'll pick up the context here. He writes, Now it is superfluous, or it's not even necessary, for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints, the saints in Jerusalem. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, which is where he's at right now, saying that Achaia, where Corinth is, has been ready since last year to give, and your zeal has stirred up most of them in Macedonia to be givers. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter, so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Okay. Now, easily you can tell that Paul is playing the diplomat, isn't he? He is carefully wording this, 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 this passage. But what he is really saying is, come on, Corinthians, the poor in Jerusalem can't eat your goodwill. They can't feed their babies with your promises to give assistance to them. They need your generosity. They need your gift, which you said that you would send a year ago. He continues with more urgings towards generous giving to this cause. And then in verse 12, he begins to speak in the present tense. This is an interesting little grammatical transition. He begins to speak in the present tense as if they've already given the gift. Verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints in Jerusalem, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. What you give will cause the Jerusalem brothers and sisters to to, to thank God. By their approval of this service, your giving, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. While they, they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. For two full chapters, Paul graciously but with force addresses with these Corinthian Christians the importance of being a generous giver of their material resources, coming at it from all kinds of different angles. But he concludes this whole thing He concludes by saying that the best, the most important, the most powerful, the primary reason for them to be generous givers is because, verse 14, of the surpassing grace of God that has been given to them when he gave them the gift inexpressible. You follow? You follow that? Give because God poured out super generously his grace on you when he saved you. Will you now, as recipients of that great gift, the gift of Jesus to you, not respond in gratitude to God, in thanks to God for his gift by being a generous giver yourself? That's the argument. That's the thought. And that's the the, the place from which this one verse springs out of that thought. Be generous in your 
earthly material life because God has been inexpressibly generous to you in your spiritual life through Jesus. Do you follow the argument? Yeah, yeah. Now, we could easily spend the rest of our time talking about giving principles, just yanking them out of these two chapters as part of our our expressing our, our love and our faith in Jesus. But our focus really is verse 15, where Paul shifted his attention from, from thinking about human material gifts to thinking about the gift, God's gift of Jesus to us. And as Paul does this, he cannot find words to describe what God has done. All he can do is really resort to this infinitely deep yet profoundly simple eight-word sentence. Thanks. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible, indescribable, beyond words gift. When the Holy Spirit says that Jesus is God's inexpressible gift, church family, he means that. He means that. He is the gift that we cannot fully explain or describe or express our gratitude for. However, we are supposed to try, right? We are supposed to try. Thanks, gratitude, appreciation, acknowledgement is still, still supposed to pour out of us even though we can never fully attain the goal of saying thank you in an appropriate way to God for his gift. Thanks is to be offered. God wants it. God longs for it. He expects it. He deserves it. Remember, it's a really big deal to him. So church family, let's think of just four of an infinite number of reasons that we can thank God for the inexpressible Jesus, the indescribable Jesus. And as we do this, I'm going to ask if you will will allow us to frame these four reasons not so much as statements of fact, but really as expressions by us of gratitude to God. We would collectively offer up expressions of thanks to God by framing these four statements, really not as statements, but as expressions using the words, thank you, my God, my Father, on your note page, you see it there, number one. Thank you, my God, my, my Father, first of all, for who your gift is. Because your gift is who? It's you. You gave me yourself when you gave me Jesus. That's where we'll start. We'll start with that expression. You know, all earthly gifts and presents that we might be given can be described, right? Every gift that you've ever been given by somebody else can be described. Even the most extreme, crazy, out there, wild gifts that people give to each other, they can all be described. The only thing that can make a gift truly inexpressible is for it to be more than what? More than earthly. More than human. More than created. For a gift to be truly inexpressible, it must have something of God in it, right? The gift must possess deity as an intrinsic part of its being if it's going to be a gift beyond all words or description. And that is precisely what we read in Matthew's account 
of the coming of Jesus into our world, when God sent Jesus to us. I would ask you to recall the angel Gabriel speaking to Joseph months before the very first Christmas when Jesus came into our world. The angel has come to a very confused Joseph. He's betrothed to Mary. He's going to be her husband, wants to marry her, but she's, she's become pregnant, and he knows he's not the father. And so he's really confused, and the angel visits Joseph. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21, this is what we read. This is what the angel Gabriel says to him. She, that is Mary, will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, that being Isaiah. Behold, the virgin will conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name, what? Emmanuel. 750 years before Bethlehem, God said, a virgin's going to conceive and she's going to give birth to a son, and his name will be Emmanuel. And what does that name mean? God with us, right? God with us. What a gift. No other gift like that. Infinite supreme deity in physical human form. It's a fact that can't be fully grasped and it can't be fully described by us. It is the central truth of the incarnation. But how do we talk about that? How do we, we, how do we grasp that with any real comprehension? What words do we use? Because Jesus is God, we can never fully describe the gift. How do we who are finite describe one who is infinite? How do we who are temporal time and space creatures describe one who is from ancient of days, from eternity past, present and future? How can we who are so dependent and and in need every moment for our existence Uh, on sustaining resources outside of ourselves, the sun, water, air, food. How do we, so needy, fully describe one who is self-existing and has no need? And how can we who are flesh and bone describe one who is also infinite spirit and truth and yet is also flesh and bone? How do we do that? We can't do that. My guess is that all of us at one time or another have been listening to a commercial on the radio, maybe on television, and then when the ad is almost over, one of those professional speed talkers uh, comes on and rips off this verbal disclaimer. Do you know what I'm talking about? Unbelievable what those guys can do. It's just a blur of words, right? And yet you can make out each one of those words. So I think, about, think now about a, one of those professional speed talkers. You and I, we could, we could get a person with that kind of talent started right now and have them speak something new and different about Jesus with every sentence that they speak and have them keep talking at their fastest speed from now on forever and ever and ever and they would never have to repeat themselves even once as they describe Jesus. Why? Because he's the gift inexpressible. Yeah? That's what infinite is all about. Paul says words fail 
they aren't adequate to describe deity in a human body, a, a, a body like my body, but Emmanuel, God with us. All we can really say, church family, together, all we can really say to that truth is this. So let's do that. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Amen? A second thought there near the bottom of your page as an expression. Thank you, my God, my Father, for why your gift was given. I needed a what? I needed a Savior. Thank you for meeting that need in my life. Thinking back once more for a moment to that time when God literally gave his gift of Jesus to the world at Bethlehem. Let's recall what the angels announced to the shepherds. Remember the shepherds outside the city, the little town, on that that Christmas Eve, that first Christmas night? You remember what the angels said to the shepherds? Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And then comes verse 11. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. They don't say, the angels don't come and they don't say, born this day is a great teacher. Born this day is a moral guide. Born this day is an incredible example for you to follow. Born this day is is a leader that you can really get behind. It's all true, right? That's all true. But that's not what they say. They say, born to you this day in the city of David is a Savior. Because that's what you need. Jesus will say as he stands outside the home of a corrupt Jewish tax collector by the name of Zacchaeus in Luke chapter 19, he intends to go to Zacchaeus' house and have dinner with him. And everybody is saying, no, Jesus, time out. No, you don't want to do that. Now, he's a, he's, a, he's a great sinner. He's a dirtbag. He's a thief. He's a traitor to his own people. You don't want to go have lunch with him. Remember this? And Jesus says to all of that, Luke 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save what is lost. God gave us the gift inexpressible because he knew that we needed this. Yes, we needed this. We needed a savior. Our greatest need was for that. Yes, we can say Jesus came to provide salvation for us by his sacrifice upon the cross in our place. He's bore in his person the punishment that was due us because of the sin in our life. But that does not adequately or fully describe the salvation gift to us. It's true, but it's, it's just the tiniest little bit of our ability to articulate the truth. We have big words like atonement and propitiation and sanctification and justification, all these words that float around in the halls of the seminary, right? To describe the saving work of Jesus. But truly, how does Jesus, how does God die for our sin and in doing so wash from our life every single bit of the guilt and the just sentence of hell that is due to us because of the sin in our life? How does that happen? We don't know. 
how it happens. We just know that it happened. And the only response that we can really give because we can't articulate that is to what? Say, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for your inexpressible gift. Take just one example of the the, the puny lack of comprehension that we have. Take that terrible moment when Jesus cries out from the cross amidst the horrors of, of the divine abandonment while he's hanging there on the cross. He cries out. Do you remember the words? Matthew chapter 27. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Take those words. What does that mean? Church family, what does that mean, really? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Did holy God actually separate himself from the Son? Was the Godhead torn apart, as it were, when sinless Jesus became our sin, as 2 Corinthians 5.21 says he did? What happened in that dread moment when Jesus spoke those words? We do not know. We can never fully know. All we can really say with a certainty is that Jesus in that moment endured the totality of our spiritual death. The full wrath of God was borne by him, but it was meant for us. And in so doing, he satisfies heaven's justice so that God, the eternal judge, can joyfully proclaim over your life and over mine, pardoned, forgiven. What can we... What can we say? How can we fully express that? We can't. All we can really do is say together, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. And then if you flip your note page over, a third reason we would say, thank you, my God. Thank you, my Father, for the way that you gave your gift to us. The way you did that. It was an act of undeserved love and grace. Amen? Jesus, God's gift to us, came wrapped in love, didn't he? Would you have a verse for that? How about John 3.16? Would that work? Yeah, do you suppose we could read it aloud together off the screen? Let's do that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Salvation for sinners as an original idea in the mind of God was born out of the fact that an indescribable love resided within the heart of God. God so loved you, he so loved me, that he gave us personally and individually the gift inexpressible. He was moved to give us himself because of an infinitely great love that resides within himself. Someone once observed that there is no way, humanly speaking, to to grasp the immensity of the love of God, and that is true. There's no way. But by way of a word picture to at least help us with uh, this inability, they said, imagine, if you guys can all now just imagine in your mind's eye, all the love that has ever been uh, expressed by human beings throughout all of history, all of human existence. Take all of that love, every single bit of love expressed by all of us, and you put it all in a bucket. 
compress it all down into a bucket. And you said, this represents the sum total of mankind's love. Humanity's ability, humanity's capacity to express and receive love. And then you took that bucket down to the Oceanside Pier and you looked out over the Pacific Ocean and you let that represent the love of God. You've got your bucket and you've got the ocean. Even then the observation was made we would only begin to catch a glimpse, a tiny glimpse of the degree to which we are loved by God. That is the unfathomable love that is behind the gift. Do you see that? What can you say? Thanks be to God. And and what makes our thanks for this inexpressible love from God toward us even more appropriate is that it's not prompted by anything that any of us did or in some way we, we, we grabbed the attention of God and his affection. We didn't do anything to merit the love, right? It was given freely as a gift. He didn't owe us that. The hard reality, according to the Bible, is that we were enemies of God before we knew Jesus. Rebellion, rebellion against him, that was, our, that was our story and continually trying to live out from underneath his authority. And that's why Romans 5.8 says this. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still what? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible calls this grace. God was not moved to love us because we got our act together and we did some good deeds and he says, hey, I think you're worthy of saving. No way. While we were still sinners, God demonstrates his love for us by giving us the gift, the inexpressible gift, pure grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, do we know these words? Can we say them aloud together right off the screen? Let's do it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, It's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Brothers and sisters, when we draw to this table of remembrance in just a few moments, we must not fail to remember that a love incomprehensible and a grace totally undeserved is what we are celebrating. That's what we're going to remember. And all we can really say together is... Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Are you getting it with me? I think you are. I think you are. Let's join all of this with one final thank you thought. Number four there on your page. Thank you, my God, my Father, for what has resulted in my life because your inexpressible gift of Jesus was given to me. So let me ask you, when when you receive a gift from someone like I, I mean I, I received all these La Casita gift certificates <laughs> right um, wonderful wonderful kind expressions from you toward me when you receive a gift uh, someone gives that to you does that gift typically change your life 
when they give you the gift. A, a book, um, uh, maybe a, a new piece of jewelry, uh, a new video game. Does, it, does your life change? You know, when you, when you gave me all those La Casita gift certificates, my life did not change. My waistline might change, but my life did not change. Because typically when you and I receive a gift, an earthly gift, uh, we're going we're gonna to be the same after the gift as we were before, right? Because those gifts don't have the capacity to change our life. But the Word of God says that when we accept by faith God's gift of Jesus, the inexpressible gift, believing with our whole heart who He is and what He has done for us on the cross, when we do that, the Bible says we are never the same again. We're changed. We're transformed. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Let's read it aloud together off the screen. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Amen? Amen. When we come to the place of saying, as I know many of you have, I am done with trying to do life on my own and trying to impress God with my own goodness. And we humbly say, thank you, my God, my father, for the inexpressible gift of Jesus to me. I believe he died for me, that he rose from the dead and that he's coming again. Thank you. We never are going to be the same again after that. Changed, but changed how? Well, for one thing, we experience personally what it means to be forgiven, right? That's one of the great changes that occurs in our life when we give our our life to Jesus in simple faith. You know, earlier we were looking at the words of the angel Gabriel as he spoke to Joseph just before the first Christmas, and he told him that this virgin-born child would have a name, and, and he was to give the child the name Jesus. Remember that? Matthew 1.21, name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. Yeshua, Jesus. What does it mean? The Lord saves. And the Bible says that when God saves us and forgives us through Jesus, he really does do that. He removes sin's penalty from us as far as east is from west. That's Psalm 103 there on your note page. We won't read the passage, but think about that. Go east. Go east as far as you want to go. East, 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 and you will never be going west. Go west. Go as far west as you want to go. West, west, west. You will never be going east. The two never meet. God says, I've removed the penalty of your sin from me as far as east is from west. Forgiven. Are you forgiven? And because God's indescribable gift results in that kind of complete forgiveness, we never have to wonder if we might one day, once again, meet up with sin and judgment because it's gone. It's been done away with. We're forgiven. Clara Barton was the founder of the American Red Cross, and she was once asked by someone for assistance, and that particular person had been extremely cruel to her in the past. She seemed to ignore the cruelty of this person, gave them the help that they were requesting. And a close associate of of hers watched all this and said, don't you remember what she did to you, Clara? 
And Barton didn't seem to know what the aide was talking about. And the aide says, I can't believe that you can't remember what she did to you. She did it to you, and I remember it. How come you can't remember it? And Clara Barton said this. She said, no, I distinctly remember forgetting that. That's exactly, exactly what the inexpressible gift of God accomplishes in your life and in my life when Jesus becomes our Lord and our Savior. God says, I distinctly remember forgetting that sin that separates me from her, that separates me from him. True forgiveness comes with the gift. And not only that, when we accept God's indescribable gift of his son, we are instantly adopted into a brand new family, what the Bible calls the family of God. Do you believe that? Man, without Jesus, without his cross, without his empty tomb, we would be spiritual orphans right now. We would be. But because we've accepted God's gift, we are fully adopted sons and daughters of God Almighty, and that deserves an amen. Romans chapter 8, verses 15 to 17, that's our text for this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, Daddy. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. We who were fatherless orphans because of the sin in our lives are now part of the most amazing family that there ever could be. Our lives are eternally changed. And with this inexpressible gift as well, there results for us a hope and a future that the Bible says the world can never take from us. We know where we're going. We know the last chapter, which is actually for us in Jesus, the first chapter, right? Really. On the night before the cross, here's what Jesus says. Hours away from hanging on the cross for you and for me, there at the bottom of your page, this is what Jesus says. Let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. Wow. Because of the gift inexpressible, we are never going to be homeless. Never. Sins forgiven, no longer orphans, heaven bound, forever different, forever changed because of faith in Jesus. Thank you, my God, my Father for your gift of Jesus to me. Thank you for the inexpressible gift. Let's pray together, church. Well, we barely scratched the surface of this one verse. The cool thing, Heavenly Father, is that we'll have an eternity to try to fully express it, describe it, articulate it. That's a great thought for us. In this moment, though, now, we are about to come to your table. And we take this very seriously because you take it seriously. 
So as we come to your table now, having hearts prepared, we will thank you. As we take the bread and the cup, we will be thanking you that you are Emmanuel, God with us, that you gave us that gift in Jesus. We will be thanking you that you gave us what we needed most, a Savior. We will be thanking you that what you gave to us flowed out of a heart, your heart of love and grace that is beyond our comprehension. And we will be thanking you that our lives have forever been changed by Jesus. All we can say to all of this, Heavenly Father, is, say it with me, IBC, thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. We say amen and amen.